Too often you feel like you don't fit in. Big crowds, loud noises are far too overwhelming. You're even highly sensitive to pain. And you crave time alone to recharge your battery. Like us, you're a fit mess. But as it turns out, you're also an empath, as we'll learn a lot more about with our guest, Dr. Judith Orloff, in this edition of The Fit Mess. This is A Fit Mess with Zach and Jeremy. Oh, we keep learning about ourselves. Uh, we might want to stop doing that. Yeah, it's too much information. I don't know how to deal with it. Hi, I'm Jeremy and that's Zach. What's up, everyone? This is The Fit Mess. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being there. Thank you for subscribing on whatever device you are using to hear this episode right now. Uh, on this episode, as we mentioned, we're going to speak with Dr. Judith Orloff. She is the author of the book, The Empath's Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People, which I've sort of known for a short time that I'm a, a highly sensitive person. But, Zach, this is new information for you. Apparently so. What? I... Okay, so let's start with this. You, you've, you've read the book. And you've learned all sorts of new things about yourself. I wouldn't say I've learned new things about myself. I have learned that a lot of things make more sense. I've I've known that I've been sensitive for a while, but I never read anything that actually put it all together and said, you are an empath. Basically, I, they, I took their test and you know, same thing with anxiety. I was like, wow, I... <laughs> I thought my sensitivity level was pretty normal, but apparently it's pretty high. Hey, sensitive scale, get out of my head. Yes. Uh, I discovered sort of this uh, phenomenon probably about five years ago uh, when we were figuring out that my daughter, my oldest daughter, who is seven, uh, seemed sensitive. Uh, Some people described her as shy. There were a lot of words being thrown around. But then we discovered the the phrase uh, high sensitivity, and we read the book. Uh, I keep saying we. My wife and I read the book, uh, The Highly Sensitive Child. And as I read it, uh, there was all sorts of red flags like, yep, 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 yep. But the more I read it, the more I realized I was reading about myself and and discovered then that I all my life have been this highly sensitive person, uh, really just thinking that I was um, weak, kind of uh, a vulnerable person that wasn't your strong, typical man like we're taught to be growing up. But I've learned, uh, the more I've studied this for the sake of my daughter and for myself, that in a way it's kind of a superpower. And they used to say few people had the power, but as you're about to hear from our, our expert, it, it sounds like it's a, it's a growing number of people that experience this sort of spectrum of sensitivity to everything, feelings, sounds, pain, all, all these things that uh, I always felt sort of ashamed of. Uh, I'm I'm sort of having to relearn as uh, a tool to navigate life. And so in reading this book, The Empath Survival Guide, I'm finding that it sort of takes it a step further than just being highly sensitive, that there's sort of a deeper level going on. It's extremely revealing uh, in terms of sort of what makes me tick. And I think that's kind of what you're experiencing as well. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about it now because I figured out a name for something that I didn't know what it was, mm. right? You know, uh, loud noises really bother me. My my wife um, has a tendency to talk really loud sometimes, and I've never been able to figure out why. Like, I don't know what you mean. She has the voice of an angel, you son of a bitch. It, it's just me. It's all me. It's not her. It's just me. No, it, it, you know, it's just something about it bothers me, the, the, the volume level. When she's mm-hmm. talking normal volume, it's fine. But, right. you know, really loud noises just 
tend to bother me really mm-hmm. badly. And there was a lot in there that I was like, hey, that's me. Hey, that's me. Yep. Hey, that's me. But what was cool was, and this is what you can do about it, and it doesn't have to continue to bother me. Yes. And, um, and it'll be there. I just, I'm learning new ways to manage it. And um, I'm actually going through the book a second time. It was, it was that inspiring. And that is what we hope you will take away from, uh, from this conversation with Dr. Judith Orloff is uh, that there are tools, there are strategies you can, you can use to deal with this if this is something that you uh, struggle with. Uh, or maybe you know someone who does and, and you think that they might benefit from this. So we had uh, the opportunity to speak with Dr. Judith Orloff. Again, the book is The Empath's Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People. And by the way, you can buy a copy of that on our website, thefitmess.com. But we started the conversation with uh, Dr. Orloff basically just asking her to, to describe what an empath is uh, how and how that relates to being highly sensitive. Well, an empath is somebody who is an emotional sponge. They're very intuitive, they're very open, they're very loving, but they tend to take on the stress of the world into their own bodies, or they can even take on physical symptoms. You might be standing next to somebody with back pain, and suddenly your back starts aching. Or if you're around somebody in emotional pain, you might start feeling it too if you're an empath. And I'm a psychiatrist, I'm also an empath. The reason that I wrote the Empath Survival Guide was to give empaths tools, how to you know, be intuitive, be open, be vulnerable, be, you know, care about other people, but don't take on their stuff. That's a key lesson that you have to learn if you want to survive and thrive as an empath. How many people uh, deal with this? Well, the old figure was 20% of the general population, but my feeling is it's much more. When I went around on book tour and people in the audience you know, it's just that there are more and more people becoming aware and being educated about being an empath. And plus, the, the intense stress in the world is bringing it out in people who never even realized they had empathic tendencies. And so they're kind of being stripped bare of their defenses. So, I, you know, I can, I can hear a listener, you know, in the future hearing this and going, well, this is just uh, people getting too soft. They need to toughen up. Uh, you know, the, the world's gotten a little too easy on everybody. That couldn't be further from the truth, correct? Well, empaths are tough. Once you learn the techniques that I talk about in the book, such as meditation, grounding, setting firm boundaries with people, saying no, not being a doormat, being able to assert your needs, that makes you a strong, powerful person. And once you're able to do that, you can protect your own sensitivities. So no, it's not at all about being soft. It's about a new paradigm of being sensitive and strong. So that's really attractive to me and people. After reading your book, I realized, you know, I I was high on the uh, uh, empathetic scale and didn't really realize it. And hearing you talk about, you know, men who they're highly sensitive, but they've learned over the years to uh, just squash that part of their lives because it's it's taboo for men to be sensitive. I think one of the things that I found is that I forgot what my emotions really were. I don't know how to recognize my emotions. Yeah, um, I yeah. mean, I've learned how to recognize them, but how, how would one go about remembering or relearning what their emotions are like? Well, first of all, you know, I, I work with many men who have to be de-traumatized from their childhood experiences because it is really brutal growing up as a sensitive boy. If you're a sensitive boy, you are 
you know, very open to creativity, you love nature, you connect to people, you have good relationships, but you don't want to do video games. You don't want to go to the to football stadiums. No, you don't want to go to the mall with your friends. It just isn't in part of the sensibility of a of a sensitive man. And so sensitive boys often get bullied, and their parents need to advocate for them. They have to have a zero bully tolerance, and and the, the people have to be educated in terms of teachers about how to support sensitive children. So first, if you're a man and you're listening and you're going, hmm, I'm remembering times when I was younger and I, you know, I was so sensitive and it got slapped out of me or it got, you know, just battered down the message that you can't be a real man unless you're, you know, macho and, and tough. If I show sensitivity, it means I'm weak. And that's the old paradigm of a man. I, I don't know very many women who are attracted to men like that anymore, but I'm sure there's lots of them. Um, <laughs> but women, you know, or, or partners of any kind, they want connections. And empaths make such incredible partners, and they're not afraid of emotions, and they can talk with you. And women really feel seen and, can, you know, contained and nurtured around sensitive men. You mentioned uh, what it's like growing up uh, as a boy uh, that's, that's sensitive. I have a, a, a daughter who's seven, and she's uh, definitely runs on the high uh, sensitive uh, end of things, if not full-blown empath. Uh, and I sort of struggle because I want to raise her to be a, a strong, powerful woman. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I find myself sort of doing what I wish my parents had done more with me in, in pushing her. Uh, one example is that she has this really, uh, to me, bizarre sort of fear of movies, uh, even the the safest of, you know, of movies like, you know, like a Frozen or something where, you know, there's conflict, there's villains, things like that. But just the concept of sitting down and trying to pick out a movie becomes this very stressful thing because I think she's already anticipating all of that anxiety and, and, uh, and uh, emotion that she's going to experience watching it to the point where she shuts down. And it's a, a struggle for us. So how do you walk the line between sort of teaching strength while honoring that sensitivity? Well, movies are an important topic. I'd want to sit down with her and find out what her experience is. Is it the loudness of the theater? Because I can't even go into those you know, general theaters anymore. The- well, and, and sorry, for, for what it's worth, this is also just like in our living room where she can be sitting on my lap. Oh, okay. That's not going into movies. <laughs> right. That that's a whole other level that we can't seem to to break through that one either. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then I would ask for what type of movies that she likes to watch. You now, what does she enjoy watching? Does she, she has she ever watched a movie that she likes? She's what d- kind doesn't she like? You know, I would suspect action adventure films. You know, anything with you know loud noises and bright lights and you know or horror films. You have. To, the thing is with sensitive people, you, you've got to, and children, you've got to really get into their heads. You've really got to find out where they're coming from, the details of, you know, what she's reacting to. You'll, you'll find out something from that. In your book, you, you, you mentioned a balanced empath, and it sounded right. wonderful. Um, <laughs> I, yes. I would love to hear some of your thoughts on what, if somebody's just discovering, you know, I am an empath and I've never really known that, what are some of the things that we can do, um, either ourselves or for other people that, that need this? What are some things that we can do to, to be 
a balanced empath? Well, in the front of the book, I have a self-assessment test to find out if you're an empath. Um, and I think it's important for people to take it. It's 20 questions. And there, there are questions like, do I need a lot of alone time to refuel, you know, after I go out? Um, do I prefer taking my own car places, you know, rather than driving with other people? Am I sensitive to noise, smells, or excessive talking? So you need to know some of these things. You know, do I need, you know, alone time, and do I love being in nature? So you have to take these questions, assess how much of an empath you are. But some people answer 20 out of 20. And then develop activities in your life to support what your needs are. For instance, if you love being in nature, a form of balance for you will be going for walks in nature or hikes. Or empaths love water. They love being near the ocean or flowing streams of water or lakes, creeks, anything. They'd be around the negative ions or visions of water, pictures of water, audios of water. So, you know, you could do things that soothe you. And empaths often go on sensory overload. And so part of their balance is noticing when you start to do it, not waiting a week and then collapsing, but noticing, am I on sensory overload now? All right, stop, what can I do? Now, I'm a psychiatrist, I'm also an empath, and when I notice the signs of sensory overload in myself, I'll just go, you know, when I, by the time I come home, I'll, I'll go home, close the door, you know, maybe turn down the lights, meditate, quiet, go in a bath, you know, tune it, turn it all down, decompress. You know, I'm not going to continue to have discussions with people or get on the phone or watch something stimulating. I'm going to de-stimulate myself. So empaths need to learn how to practice self-care in those ways. It's interesting you, you say that now. For for me, just two days ago, I was sort of at a at a breaking point where, uh, for whatever reason, just things going on in my life, I was definitely overstimulated and, and sort of uh, lost my temper at home and uh, you know, just not a good night. And that sort of carried with me through most of yesterday. And then last night, uh, part of the stimulation is everyone in my family is sick and trying to, you know, manage all that and just normal life is chaotic enough. Uh, so last night, basically, everybody had passed out pretty early and I had all this time to myself. And even though I uh, struggled with finally falling asleep, when I woke up this morning, I could tell that that time alone just recharged that battery. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it, it's hard sometimes, I think, for people to predict that they're at that breaking point and, and knowing to ask for help or to ask for space. But that that is uh, definitely a, a powerful thing for me that I know I definitely need that time to myself. And it, that's hard to, to do when, when you have a family and, and the normal demands of, uh, of everyday life. It is. Life. But one thing that I have and I suggest for my patients is to get a keep out sign on your door. Oh, I'm so buying one today. <laughs> 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 yeah, definitely, because then they know to leave you alone. You're meditating, you're decompressing, and uh, you tell them, honey, it's not you, it's me. I need this time alone, and yeah. I love you for supporting that in me. So, you know, you, you speak very positively to your loved ones about this, you know, but you let them know that's where boundary setting is such an essential tool for empaths. Yeah. It's learning how to set boundaries for what you need and then enjoying taking that time without anyone bothering you. Uh, you mentioned another thing in the book that I found interesting was uh, the difference between emotional and physical empaths. Can you talk about that? 
Yes, uh, physical empaths are those who actually feel the symptoms of other people and take them on in their bodies. You know, it could be anything from back pain to chest pain. Now, I've had uh, patients where one member of the couple picked up and feels in her own body the chest pain that their husband goes through because of his heart disease. And so it can get really intense, especially when you love someone. When you love somebody, the empathy gets magnified. And then with emotional empaths, they take on the emotions of other people, uh, less so the physical pain. So you can be both an emotional and a physical empath. But if you're around somebody, and let's say you're in a good mood, and then you meet somebody and they're angry or they're frustrated or they're being a victim, when you're around them, you start taking on their angst too, like a sponge. You you can imagine a, an empath system like a big sponge, sponging it up. And so you have to say no to sponging it up. And their techniques of, you know, setting boundaries of, Visual visualization to keep a shield around you so you don't suck it up. Whatever you need to do, you know, my empath patients, you know, do it to take care of themselves. You mentioned being a sponge. I I, I read the one line in your book where it said that people flock to empaths to talk about their problems. Um, that happens to me quite frequently, and I've never known it to bother me but after reading your book I maybe it will bother me in the future you know <laughs> what what kind of things you know am I giving off that kind of impression is there anything I can do to to prevent people from you know unloading their problems on me or do I really just need to figure something out to listen and and be okay with that. So it sounds like that keep out sign might have a dual purpose. I've already <laughs> punched it up on Amazon. I'm ready to buy that. Um, Well, empaths, I write about this in the book where empaths wear an invisible sign around them that says, I can help you. And people flock from far and wide. Now, I could be anywhere, you know, minding my own business, and people will come up to me and start up. And that's not okay with me. You know, I don't want to, you know, I want my private time. I want to set boundaries. And so when people do that with me, if I'm not in that mode, um, I'll just say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I can't listen right now. I'm having my private time. Is there any way to, I don't know, take that sign off that you found? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> not really. You, you're just you cursed, have Zach. to learn how to set boundaries, though. And if you have reluctance because you're a people pleaser, as many empaths are, you've got to deal with that people pleasing. You've got to take care of your own needs. And if you put people before you all the time, that's something for you to look at. Sure. So one other thing I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on is you talked about addiction a little bit in that empaths will, you know, use alcohol or drugs to to, to numb the sensation. Um, right. I, I think I've experienced that myself. Um, I personally, you know, quit drinking about two and a half years ago. um, And I feel like I was trying to numb it. I didn't know what I was trying to numb. But could you talk a little bit about how empaths use drugs and alcohol to try and numb the pain a little bit? Yeah, there's a whole chapter in the Empath Survival Guide on empaths and alcohol or other substances or sex or food. 
You know, it can be any kind of addiction. Uh, but oftentimes empaths, because they're so overwhelmed by the world and they have so much stimulation coming in or they're so much of themselves are people pleasers, they don't know how to stop that or block it off. And so they turn to drugs and alcohol, food, sex, you know, or shopping. You know, any kind of addictive behavior numbs that tendency of feeling overwhelmed. And it's not a healthy way to numb it, but many people go into recovery from drugs and alcohol who are recovering empaths as well. And I treat a lot of those people in my practice. I I also have a a Facebook um, empath support community with nearly 13,000 empaths, and many of them have gone through the drug and alcohol experience, and part of their recovery has been learning how to take care of themselves better as empaths so they don't drink and use over getting overwhelmed. So if somebody was listening to this and they realized maybe I am an empath and I perhaps am am using drugs and alcohol to numb these sensations, you know, what are a couple of things that they could do to get help? Um, Well, find a therapist, go to a 12-step meeting, um, begin to see what feelings come up when they're not drinking, go to a rehab, um, you know, get get some help. It's, It's hard to do it on your own. You know, it's really hard. And in terms of being an empath, you need to start asserting your needs because when you reach for that drink or that drug, ask yourself, what am I numbing? And try to give your give, give yourself whatever you're lacking. So it requires being self-observant in terms of what your needs are and what emotions you're trying to numb, what's too much for you. You know, when you feel guilty, do you want to drink? You know, where does that guilt from? You know, you've got to work with somebody on this. It's very hard to do it on your own. The Empath Survival Guide, it's a, it's a fantastic book. It's very revealing. It has been for both Zach and I. Uh, before we let you go, and, and without giving away the store and, and giving people a reason not to buy your book, what are maybe one or two takeaways that you hope that people can, can come to it and learn from and apply to their lives? Well, I'd love for people to take the 20-question self-assessment test in the beginning of the book to assess how much of an empath you are. And then think about it. How has it impacted your life growing up, how you are now? And then focus on whatever self-care techniques where you can take better care of yourself and come into your own power and your own strength and learn how to say no. No is a complete sentence. All right, again, our thanks to Dr. Judith Orloff. Again, the book is The Empath's Survival Guide. You can get that book through a link on our website, thefitmess.com. It's funny, she mentioned a couple times the uh, the test that you can take to discover how much of an empath you are, and it's yeah. 20 questions. Uh, I, di- I didn't write down my answers, but I was doing like a finger count while I was uh, listening to the audiobook. I think I scored 17 out of 20. Nice. I, I'm right about the same myself. Yeah, it's in that same window. So, yeah, it, it's... Uh, it's weird to learn that about yourself, to, to learn anything about yourself, uh, like you said, to be able to put a label on something and to then be able to to approach it uh, in a way that's productive rather than just letting it sort of swirl in the back of your head and, and try and figure out how to cope with each slice of it as yeah. it comes up. Yeah. We've talked a, a bit about, you know, I've, I've figured out a lot of things about my life and this genuinely surprised me in that I... It, it wasn't even on my radar, mm-hmm. but the the outcome of this is that I named it. Mm-hmm. I've got another definition for what's troubling me, 
and I've got solutions, you know, potential solutions that I can put in place. She talks a little bit about those uh, solutions in the book. Well, she talks a lot more about them in the book than than we got to here. But some of the things that she mentioned in dealing with them are things like we've discussed on this show, meditation, just giving yourself time and space alone to recharge. There's a lot of little tips and tricks that she uh, offers through the book. So I, I hope you'll check it out and, and use those because they're very beneficial. As, as I described to her that time just the other day about needing a few hours to myself to just not have to be responsible for someone else to, to recharge my battery. And it was, yeah. and it was really helpful. And once you know that too, you can actually take proactive steps to getting that battery recharge instead of doing what I do and just let the battery run completely <laughs> dead and, and then, then blow up. And then, you know, and then I'm <laughs> sick for a week or something happens. Right. Yeah. If you know that about yourself, you can build that time into your schedule to to make sure that your battery is always topped off. And that's a challenge too, especially if you are in a family or something where there are constant demands. It's hard to put yourself first and say, I need this for me. Yeah. It, it doesn't bode well for everyone, but in the long term it does because if I don't do this, it's going to get ugly. Exactly. <laughs> it's easier said than uh, done. Yeah. Uh, but also I like that we talked a little bit about the sort of the issue of dealing with this from the perspective of a man and that being sensitive is not something that typically in our society is uh, celebrated. I think that definitely skewed my view of myself as has affected my self-esteem growing up and, and is something I'm just now really learning to uh, deal with and accept that there's nothing wrong with me because I have this experience, because I have these feelings or the sensitivity. So I think, I think that's uh, that's something that is going to be a challenge for guys hearing this and, and trying to either let their guard down and, and take off the mask of the big macho dude mm-hmm. or, or realizing that, you know, they too are, are dealing with a lot of insecurities because of this. Yeah. I, I, I can just picture if I ever had the opportunity to tell my dad about this book, mm-hmm. he would probably take the book from me, go to the library and get me a book on like chopping wood or something like that. Like mm. here's something you should be reading. Right. You know, as a guy, um, enough of this sensitive crap. I don't know who it would come from, but I, I hear a voice in my head saying, why don't you trade that book in for a skirt? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. There's just there's that guy in the back of my head all the time that's criticizing me for just being who I am, damn it. Yeah. But hey, you know what? Part of being a guy is being there for your family. And you know what? If this is what I have to do to be healthy and mentally healthy to be there for my family, that's what I got to do. That's what you got to do. Speaking of what you got to do. It's challenge time. Let the challenge begin. And this time I'm challenging you. To eating Oreos? I would lose that one (laughs) pretty quickly. Uh, Just to recap, our last challenge was physical fitness. Exercising five times a week. Like some physical activity five times a week. Yeah. How'd you do? I'm doing pretty good with it. Yeah. You know what? I I want to I want to say I've exercised five days a week every week since we issued that challenge. But mm-hmm. you know what? Life gets in the way. Yeah. And I'm gonna be okay with not being perfect. And you know, I've been about eighty twenty. Okay. So, you know, but 
my reasons for skipping a workout are really good. Uh-huh. Like, you know, Oreos. I, I didn't feel like it. <laughs> right. Or, you know, there was a really interesting TV show on or something yeah. like that. I was, really good reasons. I was cursing your name the other day because uh, I needed to get in my workout. It was a, was it a weekend? No, it was a weekday, but my kids were homesick. And I was like, well, I, I can't go to the gym at work. By the time I get there, it's going to be a problem. So I had to get my yoga in at home. Didn't feel like it. I was tired. I was worn out. My kids were sitting in the room, spinning in their chairs right in my face. But I did the damn yoga because of this challenge. <laughs> and it was brutal and it was painful. And the whole time I was like, Zach! But in the end, you were like... But in the end, I felt great. Wonderful. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, I, I didn't write it down every day. I think I hit at least three or four days a week. Nice. Now, my challenge for you, because I know this is a weak spot for you and I will totally beat you. I don't have weak spots. You're totally weak spot. I'm going to challenge you, and I'm going to go easy, to meditate for 10 minutes three times a week. Yeah. And that can include using like a, like Headspace or whatever app you're using. But 10 minutes three times a week meditating. Okay. I think... I will take that challenge. Yeah, I'm totally going to win. And I think what I am actually going to do is there's a meditation in Dr. Orloff's book mm. um, that she recommends recording, uh, you know, say it out loud yourself, right. record it, and then play it back. So I'm actually going to try doing that. Oh, and interesting. do that a few times a week. And maybe we can play the recording of you reading it. Maybe. We'll see how that goes. We'll see. Uh, all right. Well, that's it for this episode of The Fit Mess. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing on whatever device you are using. Uh, ratings and reviews uh, on whatever service you're using are always appreciated. And you can always reach out to us through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, and you can also email us info at thefitmess.com. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode. And you can get that at thefitmess.com or wherever podcasts are sold. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then. Bye, everyone. Bye.